0: Welcome to Saturday Evening Torah Class, an in-depth, interdisciplinary study of the Hebrew Scriptures. Tonight's lesson is week number 28, Genesis chapters 28 and 29. So turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 28. If you have the complete Jewish Bible, it's on page 29. So, Yitzhak... Called Yaakov, Isaac called Jacob, and after blessing him, charged him, You're not to choose a wife from the Hite woman. Go now to the home of Bethuel, your mother's father, and choose a wife there from the daughters of Levon, your mother's brother. May El Shaddai bless you, make you fruitful, and increase your descendants until they become a whole assembly of peoples. And may he give you the blessing which he gave Abraham, you and your descendants, with you, so that you will possess the land you will travel through, the land God gave to Abraham. So Yitzhak sent Yaakov away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramee, the brother of Rivka, Yaakov's and Esau's mother. Now, Esau saw that Yitzhak had blessed Yaakov and sent him away to Padan. Aram to choose a wife from there and that as he blessed him he charged him, you're not to choose a Canaanite woman as your wife and that Jacob had listened to his father and mother and gone to Padan Aram. Esau also saw that the Canaanite women didn't please Isaac, his father. So Esau went to Ishmael and took in addition to the wives he already had Mahalat, the daughter of Ishmael Avraham's son, the sister of Naviot, to be his wife. Yaakov went out from Beersheba, traveled toward Haran, and he came to a certain place, and he stayed the night there because the sun had set, and he took a stone from the place, and he placed it under his head, and he lay down there to sleep. He, He dreamt that there before him was a ladder, resting On the ground with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of Adonai were going up and down on it. Then suddenly Adonai was standing there next to him and he said, I am Adonai, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Yitzhak, the land on which you are lying. I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth. You will expand to the west. To the east, the north, and the south. By you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Look, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go. I will bring you back into this land because I won't leave you until I have done what I've promised you. Yaakov awoke from his sleep and said, Truly Adonai is in this place, and I didn't know it. Then he became afraid and said, This place is fearsome. This has to be the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Yaakov got up early in the morning, took the stone he had put under his head, set it up as a standing stone, and then named the place Bethel, house of God. But the town had originally been called Luz. So Yaakov took this vow. If God will be with me and will guard me on this road that I'm traveling, giving me bread to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return to my father's house in peace, then Adonai will be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a standing stone, will be God's house. And of everything you give me, I will faithfully return one-tenth to you. Well, Isaac... (coughs) Agreed with Rivka, Rebecca, that the last thing this family needed was more Canaanite women. All right, added to this clan through marriage. All right, and so he instructs Jacob to take a wife from his mother's family up in Mesopotamia. Now, let me remind you once again that the term enmeshed family doesn't go nearly far enough in explaining the societal structure of that era. All right? Because Isaac is demanding all this of a son who's in his late 70s. All right? Then Isaac blesses Jacob before he departs with the blessing we see in verses 3 and 4. Now, let's not just hurry by this. Okay? If God's shown me one thing about the Tanakh, the Old Testament... And, it's that you always want to look closely when a blessing or a curse is pronounced. Uh, we tend to read those things as little more than quaint, sometimes puzzling sayings of a long, extinct culture, but almost to a fault. They're prophetic. All right? And we eventually find a link to that blessing or curse, and later parts... Of the Old Testament or the New Testament. Well, just a chapter ago, back in Genesis 27, 27 through 29, we see the blessing Isaac gave to Jacob, that one that Esau assumed he'd been cheated out of. And what we notice if we look closely is that it contained only some of the elements of the covenant promise that God had originally made to Abraham then was handed off to Isaac in its entirety. Why? Why was it done this way? Well, partly because when Isaac gave this blessing to Jacob, Isaac was in the middle of a real battle with his faith. I I think we can safely assume that Isaac, first of all, wasn't entirely convinced even of who he was given the blessing to. I mean, he thought it was Esau, but he kind of suspected it was Jacob, you know, and and, and that he wasn't exactly enamored, I don't think, with the character of either of his twin sons. Okay, so so either he gave the blessing kind of half-heartedly because he was unconvinced his son would actually carry it forward, or he was withholding part of it until he sensed or God made it clear to him it was the right time. Well, now many years later when Abraham was given the covenant promised by God, one of the elements of the covenant included that Abraham uh, that Abraham would be was that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. And if we look back at Genesis 12:2, Perhaps you remember that I told you that the Hebrew word used for nation there was goi, or goyim. Okay. And that when goi is used, it typically means, as we move forward in the Bible, if you would, Gentile nations. Let me, let me parse that a little bit more. In Abraham's time, to take the word goy goyim, to strictly mean non-Hebrew, Gentile wouldn't have had any meaning because until Isaac was born until Abraham's son Isaac was born there was no distinction between Hebrew and non-Hebrew peoples and nations produced by Abraham that is, though Abraham was called the first Hebrew it was with the birth of his sons Ishmael and then Isaac that we get this first fork in the road this distinct differentiation between Hebrew and non-Hebrew offspring. That's when it occurred. Okay, with Isaac being the Hebrew and Ishmael and all the other sons and daughters um, of Abraham being non-Hebrews. So as Goy Goyim is used in Genesis twelve two In the earliest development of the Hebrew people, it is referring at that moment to both Hebrew and non-Hebrew nations, nations at large, nations, without regard to being Hebrew or non-Hebrew. Now, coming back to our chapter, Genesis 28, we see what appears to be the same blessing that God gave to Abraham. And then Abraham gave to Isaac, now being transferred Isaac to Jacob. But there's a difference. Where most Bibles say that Isaac said to Jacob something like that you may become a company of people or a company of nations, the Hebrew for company of people, company of nations is used in that verse is kahal amin. Okay? And this is different, slightly different than what God promised to Abraham and what was promised to Isaac as well. That is th- that they would produce goy, goyim, a mixture of nations. Because kahal amim in its most literal meaning all right, is, is almost the opposite of what God told Abraham. Literally, kahal amim means like a holy convocation of fellow countrymen. It's referring to fellow countrymen. Okay? Put in other words, it means it's an assembly of people for holy purposes consisting of people from the same tribe or groups of tribes. It's a much tighter relationship. It's not a real general term, okay? So, Jacob, soon to be named, renamed Israel, is going to be the first in the line of the covenant promise to produce only Hebrews. His father produced Hebrews and non-Hebrews. His grandfather Abraham produced Hebrews and J- Jacob is the first to produce only Hebrew offspring he will produce only nations of Hebrew people only the people who would become called by the time of Moses his God's precious treasure now let me summarize that again because this is so key right, Abraham produced Hebrew and non-Hebrew offspring which was what was promised that would happen for him Okay? With Isaac being the Hebrew. Abraham's son Isaac produced Hebrew and non-Hebrew people. With Jacob being the Hebrew and everybody else not. Okay, But Jacob produced only Hebrews. The tribes of Israel. Which is what that whole blessing of Kahal Amin is getting at. Well, moving on. Beginning in verse 6. I just had to put, I found this on the internet. I had to put it up there. Look closely at that. I love that picture. Okay. Honey, look what I brought home. We're told that Esau, see Esau up there? Big here, Esau. Right. Observe that Isaac sent Jacob back up to Mesopotamia to get a wife because his father detested Canaanite women. Poor Esau, he's already taken two Canaanite wives, which had greatly displeased his father, and now, in an unbelievably misguided attempt to make amends, he goes to his father's brother's family, Esau's uncle Ishmael, the son Abraham had sent away, and Esau takes an Ishmaelite woman as his third wife to try to make things all better. What a knucklehead! Yeah. Right, but as a matter, as matter of fact, as this event is told, its future effect is beyond calculation. I mean, here an alliance through intermarriage is formed that bonds the two dispossessed firstborns, rejected by Yahweh. All right, as possible heirs to the covenant line of promise Ishmael and Esau it binds them together all right, into what will rather quickly turn into a permanent anti-Israel group of nations okay. it is the alliance and gene pool mixing of Ishmael and Esau who forms the vast bulk of Muslims in the world today all right, and the entire bulk of Arabs Okay. I mean, this report of such few words in verse 9 has radically altered the course of history. All right. And it set in motion the circumstances that will bring about the Antichrist and the end of history as we know it. Well, anyway, Jacob leaves Beersheba, travels about 40 miles from Beersheba up to Bethel, when he stops after a couple, three days for a night's rest at a what at that moment is a, an anonymous place described as rocky or very rocky. And it's here in the Torah that we find Jacob making now a separate identity for himself that allows him to become the third and last patriarch. Okay? It was necessary for him to leave his land and his father and his mother, his siblings, for God to work with him just as exactly as it was so with his grandfather Abraham, but he was going the other direction. There Jacob has a dream, a vision actually, and in it he's given a glimpse of the heavenly spirit world and he sees angels, Malach Elohim okay in hebrew so we know these are heavenly messengers angels going back and forth from heaven to earth receiving their instructions presumably from God in heaven and then going forth to do his will on earth and there at bethel God himself gives Jacob the promise of the land and of many descendants and that these descendants are going to bless all the families of the earth and he also tells Jacob not to worry because God will be with him wherever he goes, and he will bring him back to this land. Because he's promised the land of Jacob and his descendants forever. And it will happen just as promised. And by the way, in verse 13, where most Bibles say God or Lord, the original Hebrew is Yodhe heh So this was God the Father speaking to Jacob. Jacob was very aware of that. But the entire tone of this episode here is one of surprise for Jacob first because Jacob had no clue that God would come to him in this manner and second because Jacob was likely feeling pretty defeated right about now I mean this was not a happy little vacation on his way up to Mesopotamia that he was on he was running for his life and he was leaving the scene of a disaster of his own making He had deceived his father and his brother to obtain the blessing and had to walk away empty-handed just to survive. I mean, this blessing upon Jacob, now by God, Bethel, represented the official transfer, if you would, of the covenant promise from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob had been blessed a few days earlier With a similar blessing by his father, but only now does Yehovah validate those blessings. Now notice also that since our Torah study beginning with Genesis 1, we have watched the Lord transfer his place of residence from heaven to earth, Garden of Eden, and back again. And let's not too quickly pass this ladder, perhaps stairway, between heaven and earth, because this is another biblical type of what is to come. You see, these two facts work together. This stairway represents the connection between man and God that was currently broken. In the beginning, man could come directly to God because God was present with man. But rebellion and sin broke that connection and God removed himself back to heaven. Yet for those who trust, there is the ladder. There is the stairway by which God sends his ministering angels to do his work on earth. Later, another connection between heaven and earth would be reestablished. The wilderness tabernacle later on the temple okay still further into the future the real ladder would come one who would reconnect God with man Messiah you think that's just allegory or a nice story listen to what Yeshua himself says in John 15 1 rather, John 1, 51, pardon me. Yeshua says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I mean, what we miss by not uh, thoroughly studying Torah, because without first seeing what happened with Jacob here in Genesis, how in the world are we going to fully understand that kind of, Odd statement made by Yeshua 1800 years later and recorded in what we call the New Testament. Yet it's a pretty easy link to make once we've read this and understand what it's about. For Jacob, this was both current reality and prophecy, what was going on then. For us, this is not only reality, it's prophecy fulfilled is it not? Well, Jacob was truly awestruck by what he was shown. He called the place House of God or better, more correctly, the House of the God El. Now, this is an aside. Watch the use of the word El occurring before the exodus of Egypt. Okay. Because up to the time that God gave Moses his personal name at Mount Sinai, God was mostly known as El Shaddai. In fact, it says that. God will say to Moses, Your fathers knew me as El Shaddai. Okay, With emphasis, frankly, on the El part. Okay, in other words, before Mount Sinai, God had not revealed his personal name to mankind so he was known by a number of titles mostly beginning with either Il or El all right? and after Mount Sinai we'll see the use of the word El start to diminish in the scriptures slowly being replaced by Yud-Heh there's another interesting happening here that we need to take a look at the anointing with oil of the stone that Jacob had laid his head on to sleep during that vision. What's the meaning of that? Well, first off, we can see just how old this concept of anointing with oil is because what's taking place here is around 1800 B.C. And as to exactly what meaning this held in Jacob's mind when he was doing it isn't precisely clear, but obviously it had something to do with his encounter with the Lord. Probably it meant to establish a new covenant bond between Jacob and Yahweh, one that involved a vow, all right, because it was unknown in that time to use a rock as a memorial marker after anointing it with oil. The two just didn't go together. Okay, anointing with oil was what uh, was rather in widespread use by now, but but not in that type of a purpose. Okay. Um, As a matter of fact, anointing with oil often marked the making of an agreement, not unlike the more extensive covenant of salt that involved animal sacrifice. Marking boundaries and creating memorial markers using a stone, they were called standing stones, was also common. But again, they weren't anointed with oil. So something special was going on here. So I think it goes well beyond that. Here we have Jacob resting on a rock, and then anointing it. And I think it is possible that there is a link between this and Messiah. Because what does Messiah mean in Hebrew? Anointed one. Anointed one. So we must also inquire just why Yeshua is so often referred to, as of all things, a rock. Now, certainly, allegorically, we can see the physical characteristics of a rock, of its solidness and its steadiness and and so on, and apply it to him. But we must remember that the context of the New Testament is just as Hebrew as the context of the Old Testament. The Jewish people just didn't run around picking up some new metaphor that struck them. They didn't just pick the idea of a rock out of the sky Okay, this was an ancient traditional society that had an enormous history of well established meanings that were that brought forward from events in the past particularly as involved the patriarchs so I seriously suspect that the calling of Messiah Yeshua the rock referred as far back as this event with Jacob whereby he anointed the rock that he rested his head upon well, Jacob vowed to God that he'd give him all of his allegiance. And that of all that God gave him, he'd return a tenth. So once again, we see the principle of the tithe. All right, very early on in Scripture. Let's move on now. Now, well, before I guess about, I ought to ask you do you want to hang in there for another chapter, or are you done? Can you hang in there? You want to do that? Okay, let's do it. Okay, chapter 29. Continuing his journey, Yaakov came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in a field, and there were three flocks of sheep lying there next to it, because they watered the sheep from that well. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and only when all the flocks had gathered there would they roll that stone away from the opening of the well and water the sheep. Then they put the stone back in its place on the well's opening. And Jacob said to them, my brothers, where are you from? And they answered, we're from Haran. And he asked them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we do. And he asked them, are things going well with him? Yes, they answered. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. He said, look, there's still plenty of daylight left and... uh, isn't it time to bring the animals home? So why don't you water the sheep and then go and put them out to pasture? They answered, We can't. Not until all the flocks have been gathered together and they rolled the stone away from the opening of the well because that's when we water the sheep. Well, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep because she took care of them. Well, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Lavon, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Levon, his mother's brother, Yaakov went up and rolled the stone away from the opening of the well and watered the flock of of Levon, his mother's brother. Yaakov kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rivka's son. And she ran and told her father. Well, when Levon heard the news... Of Jacob, of Jacob his sister's son he ran to meet him he hugged him he kissed him he brought him to his house and Jacob told Levon all that had happened Levon said to him you are indeed my own flesh and blood mm-hmm. after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month Levon said to him why should you work for me for nothing just because you're my relative tell me how much I should pay you now Levon had two daughters the name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel and And uh, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was good-looking with beautiful features. Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel and said, I will work for you seven years in exchange for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Levon answered, Better that I give her to you than someone else. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and it seemed only a few days to him because he was so much in love with her. I need a few awes out there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife since my time is finished so that I can start living with her and Levon gathered all the men of the place and gave a banquet and in the evening he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob and he went in and slept with her Levon also gave his slave girl Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her slave girl in the morning Jacob saw that he was with Leah and he said to Levon What kind of thing is this that you've done to me? Didn't I work for you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? And Laban answered, Well, in our place, that isn't how it's done to give the younger daughter before the firstborn. Finish the marriage week of this one, and we'll give you the other one, also in exchange for the work you'll do for me during yet another seven years. Jacob agreed to do this. So he finished her week, and Laban gave him uh, his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. Laban also gave to his daughter, Rachel, his slave girl, Bilah, as her slave girl. So not only did Jacob go in and sleep with Rachel, but he also loved Rachel more than Leah. Then he served (coughs) Laban another seven years. So Adonai saw that Leah was unloved, so he made her fertile while Rachel remained childless. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son whom she named Reuven, For she said, It is because Adonai has seen how humiliated I have been, but now my husband will love me. She conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, It is because Adonai has heard that I am unloved. Therefore he has given me this son also. So she named him Shimon. Once more she conceived and had a son and she said, Now this time my husband will be joined to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, she named him Levi. All right, she conceived yet again, had a son and said, this time I will praise Adonai. Therefore, she named him Yehuda. Then she stopped having children. Well, when Jacob left his family down in Beersheba, he left with a lot of spiritual agitation. A very heavy heart. He also left with a lot of fear and trepidation, a lot of guilt. <coughs> right? But after his, this encounter that we read back in 28 with uh, Yehovah, something was changed in him. He, he, he was more certain. He was focused. He was calm. Right? He was kind of filled with that inner state that Gentile Christians call a peace without understanding. Hebrews would say he'd received Hashem's shalom. Now, we don't know how long it took Jacob to reach Haran, about a 400-mile journey from the southern end to Canaan up to, um, up to Haran. But when he arrived, he immediately sought out his mother's family. Now, you know, sometimes we get so focused on the land of Canaan, the promised land that eventually would become Israel, that we forget the ancestral connection between the promised land and mesopotamia in mesopotamia was abraham's birthplace okay and a large part of his family still remained up there we we find abraham in earlier chapters sending a servant back to what he certainly considered his roots to find a suitable wife for his son jacob uh, isaac And now Jacob goes back to exactly the same place for the same purpose. But what a contrast between how Eliezer, Abraham's servant, went to Haran versus how Jacob arrived. Eliezer arrived with an entourage of men and camels and gifts to offer a potential bride for Isaac. Jacob arrived with the shirt on his back and nothing else. Well, his search is rewarded at a water well where three flocks of sheep were waiting to be watered. And the shepherds pointed out Rachel, Jacob's first cousin, his mother's niece, daughter of Levon. Now, we, we learn a little bit in this episode about how water well etiquette worked in those days. Okay. Water wells were very important places in that era all right? because much work was involved to even create one all right? and much care was involved with maintaining one. Further, a well was owned by somebody, either the local king or, in this case, a local family. And since the humans of the settlements The well was dug for, needed water every day, and the the animals that were a part of their lives also had to drink water generally every day. The well became a place of meeting for the country folk, much as the same as as we find that the city gates of some of the walled cities of that era, right at the city gates, was the meeting place for the city folk. Okay. And we find that there was a large rock over the top of the well. Now, this was normal and customary. First, it was to keep dust and small varmints, I mean, even children, from falling into the well and polluting it. All right. But it was also to keep people who wanted water from just helping themselves. Okay. Rather, water had to be purchased from the well's owner. The shepherds with those flocks of sheep that we read about, those three, were waiting until evening when the owner of the well would come out, roll the rock off, collect the fee, and then those animals could drink. And then he'd put it was a toll gate. Okay. In our scene, Jacob wants the shepherds to hurry up and water their sheep and get out of here. So he can have a little private conversation with the family members he's come to find. He just didn't want those guys around. Didn't, didn't you catch that tone? You know, why don't you guys go ahead and water your sheep and go? And they're going, "What are you talking about? We can't do that." All right. So since Jacob's family and he's getting a little impatient, he feels justified in rolling the rock off the mouth of the well himself and allowing their sheep to drink, so that they'll go away. All right. Well now Jacob introduces himself to Rachel and as is customary he kisses this family member. Now kissing in this era did not necessarily denote sexuality or even a great deal of affection. Okay, kissing was usually a greeting, not far off the equivalent of a handshake today, although it usually wasn't done between strangers. All right? Then Jacob weeps with joy knowing that his this journey is over and he's even likely met his future wife. It was a great day for Jacob. Okay? So we're told that Rachel is a shepherdess, and you know that's a that's a somewhat unusual occupation for a woman in this area of the world. The Bedouin women to the south, down the Sinai and Arabian Peninsulas, hundreds of miles to the south, as a matter of fact, often tended herds and and flocks. But Mesopotamian women and eventually Israeli women didn't, as a general rule. Well, Laban, Rachel's father, hears of Jacob's arrival and he comes to meet him. Now, here's a good chance also for us to better understand something that even scholars will identify as contradictions in the Bible. In verse 5, when Jacob inquires of his mother's family, he asks some shepherds if they know Laban the son of Nahor. Now in earlier chapters in fact even in the previous chapter, we're told that Laban is the son of Bethuel, not Nahor. So what gives? Right. Well, Nahor is actually Laban's grandfather. Okay. And what is being described here is which clan LeBan belongs to. Okay? The clan of Nahor. Okay. Now, often, when we get more formal identities of the people in the Bible, it will say of the tribe of so-and-so and the son of, fill in the blank. Okay? Son of in the Bible does not necessarily actually mean a father and son biological relationship as we think of it. Sometimes it does mean father and son, but just as often it is attaching a person to his clan as it is here. Knowing which is which is in the context and the expectation of the author is that the reader knows full well already that Nahor is Abraham's brother and Laban, therefore, is his grandson. So these supposed contradictions of names that you'll hear people talk about sometimes are, I I don't know of one that turns out to be a contradiction. It was just this normal way of speaking and explaining one's identity in that era. Now, Laban, of course, offers his hospitality to his nephew, and a month passes and the self-serving Levon broaches the question to Jacob, what shall be your wages?" Now this is the signal that it is understood that Jacob is kind of a semi-permanent visitor. Of course Levon sees that Jacob would be a valuable addition to his family as he's a gifted shepherd and a hard worker but he, he, he will also he also likely noticed. But Jacob was quite taken with the beautiful Rachel. So Jacob offers seven years of his labor to Laban in return for her hand. And by the way, that was not the custom of those times. For a father to, in essence, sell his daughter to a man in exchange for that man's servitude. That was not normal. Okay? And a little later, we find that Laban's two daughters reveal the shame they felt for being quite literally sold for a price. All right, when they say in Genesis 31, are we not counted as strangers for he, our father, has sold us? All right. Well, the seven years pass and Jacob goes to Laban to extract his wages, which is none other than Rachel. Then Jacob gets a taste of just how devastating deceit and betrayal can be. Okay. after the wedding ceremony Lavon switches out Rachel for Leah his older and yet unmarried daughter I mean no doubt Jacob instantly thought back to that day he disguised himself as his brother Esau and fooled his father I mean he must have assumed that what he was now experiencing was simply God's payback for the dirty dealing he'd perpetrated upon his father Isaac and his brother Esau Some years earlier. In fact, the word deceive is played up in this story of Jacob acquiring a bride because it's so organically connected to the central theme of deceive that's in the story of Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau. Well, in exchange for another seven years of bond servitude to Laban, Jacob also gets Rachel, who he marries right away after the customary seven-day wedding ceremony period between he and his substitute bride, Leah. This elderly man, 80-something years old, suddenly finds himself in the position of trying to please not one but two wives. Another dark side of Jacob is now revealed to us in that he unfairly loved and openly favored Rachel far more than Leah. And the reason is suggested to us in verse 17 when it says that while Leah's eyes were weak, that's the phrase, Leah's eyes were weak. Since beauty is often related to the appearance of one's eyes, particularly in Middle Eastern cultures, strong eyes or weak eyes were simply idioms that indicated either beauty or plainness. So we're being told that Rachel was considered to be beautiful while Leah is not. That's what this was about. And it was apparently primarily on the basis of physical beauty that Jacob had made his choice. I mean, there is no reference at all to Jacob having consulting God over his choice of a wife. And there's every reason to suspect that Leah maybe Should have been his choice over Rachel, as we'll see shortly. I mean, what irony we've got going on here. Think about this. Esau, the firstborn, handsome, macho, passed over by God for Jacob, plain and quiet. Rachel, beautiful, impetuous, passed over by God for Leah, plain and quiet. Why do I say Rachel was passed over? Because watch what happens next. Almost immediately, Leah starts giving Jacob children. Rachel cannot seem to get pregnant. First, Leah conceives Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob. Now put that little fact in either into your memory or down on paper. Because in a few weeks, we're going to come back to this very important detail about Reuben. She goes on to give Jacob three more sons, Simeon, Shimon, Levi, and Judah. And in naming these children, Leah gives God all the praise and glory. Reuben means look a son because she felt God had seen that she was being treated as a second-class citizen by her husband Jacob, who fawned only over Rachel. Shimon means hearing because God heard her prayers for another son. Levi means joined because... She hoped now that she had given Jacob now that she'd given Jacob yet another son, Jacob would love her more, spend more time with her. And Judah means praise, because she praised God for giving her four healthy sons. Well, in offering her praise to God for these children, you know, Leah was showing her character. Okay? And God was blessing her for it, because not only did she give birth to Jacob's firstborn, but look at two of the others. Levi and Judah. Mm -hmm. Leah, the plain one, was honored with carrying and giving birth to what would become the Israelite line of priests and servants to God, the Levites, and bringing Judah into this world from whom the line of promise would be fulfilled in Yeshua. Yeshua was a Judahite. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, in a sad ending to this chapter, we're told that Leah just suddenly lost her ability to have children. That's where the chapter ends, and I think that's where we'll end.